Oh my God. Becky, look at her butt. Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program, where every Tuesday night on KineticHiFi.com, you can find us. We spend about an hour talking about how you can create your best fit life. So I have created a series of podcasts during the month of February, which is the National Eating Disorder Awareness Month. Um, Eating disorders, disordered eating, it's super prevalent. It's really hard to um, treat and uh, it's, it's way more common than you would think. And in some ways, it's very insidious because it's kind of what we have and conditioned to see as social norms. So this is our third session uh, in this whole series. And tonight I have Aleka. And she, Aleka is, she... She's just everything when it comes to comes to this topic. Um, I specifically asked her to come on and talk about healing and moving forward. She does a lot of life coaching. She specializes in eating disorders, um, and she has a really incredible background. So, Aleka, welcome. And uh, if you could just do a little more of an introduction of yourself and your background, it's super impressive, and I would love for our listeners to hear it. Wow, what an intro already. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you asking me to talk on this subject. It's something that I'm certainly interested in. I've been working in the field of eating disorders and recovery for so many years now, and I'm passionate about it, so I appreciate you having me on. My, um, You asked about my background. My background, I started with the study of nutrition, and I got my first degree in nutrition because... I have a background myself, personally struggling with an eating disorder. And as I got well, I really realized I want to help other people. So I went into nutrition. And as I started working at a intensive outpatient eating disorder treatment center as the head nutritionist there, I really recognized that there were many more facets to this issue. And it got me curious into just what those facets were. And so that took me on another path of study to understanding the psychology behind eating disorders and psychology in general, so I went down that path. Um, and then also the spiritual, the psycho-spiritual aspects of eating disorders were fascinating to me as well, because there was another piece that was there that I noticed. And so I, I, I went down that path. So I, I have had a rather meandering path as far as understanding this issue from all different sides. And that really took me to, I guess that's, I'm making a really long story short. Yeah, this is perfect. Because it's it's all those dots. (laughs) Yeah, I work with clients. um, And I do specialize in eating disorders, but I actually have a wide base of clients now where I really look at life issues, and specifically this one, from a very holistic perspective. So perhaps from a psychological perspective, coaching perspective, um, nutritional or physical perspective, or even, you know, that, that sort of spiritual realm and what that looks like to these issues. So I do look at this from a very wide um, angle and really look at the whole self. That is amazing. And that's why you're so good at what you do. Um, it's not super uncommon from my my 
kind of path of how I ended up being where I am, where I struggled with my own issues. And so then I focused really intensely on the nutritional side of things. And then um, once I started looking a little deeper at myself, I realized, wow, there were a lot of connections I was missing. There were a lot of things that I wasn't fulfilled in my life. And, um, you know, my, my issues with food and body image and all that were directly proportional or directly improportional (laughs) to, um, my, my fulfillment in life and my joy and more of that spiritual side of things. Um, but it wasn't until much later that I was able to connect those dots and, and realize that it's not just about the food. It was, it was everything else. Um, so this is, this is going to be an awesome interview. I already know it. Um, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people do just try to treat the one, one piece of it and that, um, and that may help in that one area, but it's not until you bring all of the pieces together that it really, it really makes all the difference. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that from my experience with this issue, um, it really is a whole body process. You know, as you said, you were talking about purpose and joy and feeling disengaged from that. And Oftentimes when I'm working with clients, the symptoms that are showing up in our lives are really just ways to explore openings to much deeper levels of understanding within the self. And if we just try to change at the top level, then I, I call it rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Oh. You know, we got to figure out what's, what's, what's making the boat sink, what's really at the core of these issues. And it's fascinating where it leads us to, to go down deep you know, beneath the layers rather than stay at the surface. Yeah, that's great. So I'm, so I'm in total agreement with you there. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about um, maybe what some of those deck chairs possibly are. Like, you know, for me, um, I was very unfulfilled in my work. So I started doing more exercise. And in that way, I over-exercised and I really poured myself into that. And so I thought, oh, if I'm more fit, then I'll get fulfillment and joy out of that. Um, So exercise could be one and the food could be one. And um, what are some other things too, I guess, because it's not just the food. I think that you know, if we look at it from a bigger picture, we can see, oh, well, it wasn't just the food. It was these other things, too. Can you think of other things off the top of your head that, that maybe we're rearranging? Yeah, no, that's a great question. What a, what a big question, dynamic one. Um, yeah, I think as, as all addictions, they can be used in various ways. One of the most popular ways to use an addiction is through a numbing. So we're having uncomfortable feelings. And somehow this behavior, whether it's food or something else, it takes us out of that space, turns off those uncomfortable feelings even just temporarily and allows us to kind of deal as best we can. But the problem with that is it's temporary, you know. So certainly going down deeper into those layers, we find some uncomfortable feelings, some shame, um, some feelings of unworthiness, some feelings of emptiness. So, so that's certainly there. You know, I also think that on deep levels, we have beliefs about our world. And that is, you know, it's kind of set in motion through our conditioning and what we experience growing up. And sometimes those beliefs can get, those are pretty pervasive in our current reality and what we're experiencing. So they could be beliefs about our um, weight equating with our sense of worth or success. Yes. We could have somehow linked those two things together, you know, in some way. Yeah. Um, it could be beliefs about 
control, perfection, beliefs about um, just just creating, you know, these these old patterns from long ago to now. It's amazing how much I see just the habitual belief system showing up in this particular issue. Um, eating disorders are very, very common with trauma, um, specifically sexual trauma. There's a very high correlation with that. And if we think about that, there's issues of safety at the core of that, powerlessness, feelings of needing nurturing in some way that can get very intertwined and sort of mixed up with eating. So a lot of these messages can get very... Um, disrupted. And I, I tell this to all of my clients, at, hey, an eating disorder, at one point, it worked. I mean, there's a reason yeah. why you did what you yeah. did. And let's not get down on yourself for picking the one thing that worked for you on some level. I mean, if you've been through trauma, and you don't know who else to turn to, sometimes, you know, cheesecake works, yeah. you know, and, but there, there becomes a point when we, we have to move out of that place, because that, that coping strategy that sort of works isn't working anymore. And that's where change really can show up. Oh, that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah, that's because I, I think that, um, you know, I, it, the eating disorders are, they are very challenging. Um, but you know, it's not just something that's just wrong. You're right. Like it worked at some point it worked and it worked for something. Um, but yeah, it's moving forward and how do you break that up? So what, um, what are some of the different things that somebody could do? I mean, I know that like eating disorders are in disordered eating. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not, I mean, quitting smoking is not easy, but you can just quit smoking. You can't just quit eating. You have to eat to live. So, um, you know, I, I, always recommend, especially with something that's so complex, for somebody to seek out professional help. So what are some of the things that, um, you know, that you see are is helpful for some of your clients that come to you as far as, re, um, I guess, retelling a different story in your head, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, it, it, that's another great question. And it's going to be unique to every single person. Mm-hmm. But in general, the first skill we talk about is compassion and acceptance. Because we're never going to find a place, you're never going to get to a place of freedom or peace by um, judgment and, and, you know, just getting down on ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. The destination determines where we end up, you know. So the first place that I usually start with clients is let's just come to a place of compassion. And it's, all, it's often what I just said there to you previously, which was, look, it works. Let's not judge ourselves. Let's not get down on ourselves. Let's not, you know, shame ourselves into this place that creates more of those same behaviors. It's like a vicious cycle, right? The snowball effect. So compassion is certainly important. Um, I think you're right. I think that depending on the severity of the eating disorder, and sometimes when eating disorders are very severe, of course, the first thing we need to do is get somebody help and get food in them whatever way possible. I mean, there are ways that we need to feed somebody because they're not able to do deeper work if they're um, not physically capable of doing it. Um, Eating disorders can certainly affect the mind in such a way that sometimes we just need to get nutrition in somebody. Um, After that, though, when we start getting into the, the real deeper layers of shifting and changing, we allow the experiences and the beliefs 
to show up in, in, the, in the everyday world. And one of those ways I do that is to suggest people keep a, um, not a food journal so much as a feelings journal, meaning how did you feel right before you ate that? What's coming up as you ate that? Cravings are fascinating when you start looking at that because certain food cravings are really associated with the emotional um, kind of link that we're trying to either numb or we're trying to engage, you know, we're trying to either numb pain or we're trying to engage feelings of nurturance and love. So knowing all of that, just getting deeper into what does this look like for you? Are you eating at night? And, and where's the correlation there? Are you eating in the morning? What foods are you eating? Yeah. Um, what are the feelings associated with those foods? To really try to figure out what's the underlying picture here? What's really going on? So as I said, it's kind of hard to say this is exactly how I do it, but that gives you maybe a, a sort of a bigger picture approach on, on how I would approach it. Well, yeah, and that's great because I think a lot of people, um, myself included, I don't really know what it looks like to, um, I mean, I know what I've done myself, but mm-hmm. I'm different from a lot of other people. And so, um, you know, this this is very eye-opening to me to see, you know, what um, which different kinds of journaling can help. Um, you know, I, I don't know that um, that I've ever really thought about writing down like my feelings I've thought about you know writing down how I feel after I eat something but that's more of a nutritional standpoint like did that actually nourish me was I you know did I need more food kind of thing um so I love that you're talking about the uh nourishing yourself emotionally too yes I mean that's that's huge because you know eating disorders are all about food and then they're not about food you know it's a very interesting thing and so many people with eating disorders, whether it's from a place of just kind of very minor, like so many of us walking around in the world in general, or there's, you know, people that are on the spectrum of relatively severe, we lose touch with that inner wisdom that tells us that foods nurture us. That's one of the main problems. We start eating with our head and not with our our whole selves. You know, we are gifted this beautiful um, system within us, this inner guidance system that tells us what we want to eat, what our body needs, and when we've had enough, and, you know, when we're hungry. And so often with eating disorders and eating issues in general, we're really out of touch with that system. And so another huge part of recovery is learning how to get back in touch with that. And that system is very intertwined with feelings. So what often happens with an eating disorder is we turn off our feelings. Now, whether we turn off our feelings because we've had to, like we're just yeah. going through a situation that's really intense and we don't know how to deal with it. We haven't been modeled the proper ways to, to deal with sadness or trauma or shame or, um, or maybe anger. We, we don't understand. So we just turn it off. And the, and the, sort of the, the interesting thing about that is we can't turn our feelings off indiscriminately. We can't numb our our shame and not numb our joy. And we can't numb our shame and not numb our intuitive sense either, which are which is a feeling. So a part of the feeling journal is really getting back in touch with not just our emotional feelings, physical feelings, but this this inner guidance system that's really been gifted to us to all pay attention to. Yeah. And I think too with um, you know, for me personally, I I would busy myself and um, I was so busy and whether I was doing that to numb out against feelings or if I was doing that just because, you know, part of 
everyday society is you know, super busy. Um, so was I just doing it? You know, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I definitely felt very disconnected, um, when I was, when I was eating so much more and, um, and I think, you know, it's, we just see, uh, that, that super busy feeling as being like normal. Whenever you talk to most people, you're like, how have you been? Oh, so busy, you know? And, um, it's hard to, it's hard to be in touch with your feelings when you're so busy. You're right, and I think we live in sort of that culture that doesn't, you don't walk up to people and really say, hey, how are you? You know, yeah. we say, how you doing, but we really need, like, can we just move on? Like, yeah. I'll high-five you, nice you high-five me, travel on, you know? <laughs> and we don't really ask, I mean, think about that. Growing up as children, you know, do we ask them, do I ask our kids, you know, what is your body craving right now? What are you feeling like? What do you want to eat? We're so taught to eat from our heads. Like, this is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. This is how much you should eat. You shouldn't eat that food. That food's bad. And we have all these labels. And yeah. and it, so we're, we've really lost touch, even in the most healthy of, of situations. I often talk to people and say, well, how in touch are you with your inner guidance system around food? And they look at me like, what? Yeah. I just eat like what I'm supposed to eat, you know? It's, so I, I think that in and of itself is such a fascinating um it's such a fascinating topic, and you were you brought up a great topic too, which was around just stress and eating, and um, some of the newer science around eating disorders, and specifically what's not working anymore because diets just don't work. I mean, we know this, yeah. and we I even know this from working with clients in um, pretty clinical settings that you know you have people with similar metabolism, similar body weight, similar ages, and you're, you're trying to perhaps get them to gain weight or even release weight. And they're eating the same stuff and they're releasing on, or gaining on such different schedules. It's just not the same at all. It's not a fixed science. Yeah. And what's fascinating <laughs> now is that we're really realizing how much that who we are when we're eating yeah. is just as important as what we're eating. And when we're eating under stress, as you described earlier, just dizziness, we're really only metabolizing at um, a significantly lower rate metabolizing our food than we would be if we were just paying attention. I call it, you know, vitamin A, vitamin awareness. Oh, Are you really that's present good. when you're eating? Because if you're not, the science now is fascinating on how it really will shut down our digestion. Digestion, And then it's like that's the missing link. You know, that's the part that we're not talking about in the diet, food, body weight equation. Yeah. And I love that you, you, um, yeah, I just, you just articulated that so well. Um, I, I think that it's even more confusing for some people because this whole diet industry, the weight loss industry, this whole thing, um, there is so much science behind it because there are certain measurable things. So we think that once we hear, oh, science or, you know, studies show that we think that that's just truth when in reality I think it's just kind of messing with us because we're like well but the study said but that's not really the real truth so maybe the study said it there but it's not necessarily the rock solid truth so you it's so it's different if it's just always kind of out there and unknown but it's more confusing when you put some science behind it some theories behind it and that kind of thing I mean Mm. I think you know that's how we ended up with such a bad problem with this whole fat-free thing. Um, it's actually caused us a lot more pain, um, than it ever solved. Um, because science said certain things, but it didn't say it the overall. So I love that you bring in this whole overarching p- 
picture, um, how you feel when you're eating the food um, that, you know, maybe so science is starting to prove this, too. So maybe we will pay a yeah, little more attention yeah, to it. Yeah, there's actually they found the um, that there's a there's a part of a digestive tract that actually secretes the same hormones as our brain does. I mean, this is like the belly brain. You know, this is the part of us that says I'm full. You know, the, really, it's, it's an amazing, we're finding that the digestive tract is actually like a um, neurological system all in of itself. It's fascinating. And, yeah, I mean, I think that so many diets, you can prove anything for one person having, you know, having worked well. Some yeah. people probably shouldn't be eating a lot of meat. It doesn't work well with their system. Some people do better with high protein. Some people do better with, you know, more carbohydrates, less fat. Some people do better with a higher fat diet. Um, those good monounsaturated fats, you know. So I think that there's, there are many, many diets, and there are probably a few really good ones for different people, but we're not just one person. That's the problem. Right? Yeah, we right. We all have a different makeup that um, we, there is a perfect diet for everybody, and that diet is found within that person, not outside of that person. Yeah. Oh, that's in my opinion. I know I completely agree. And I'm one of those, you know, I am in the industry where I do give, I just give a meal guide. I want people to understand kind of, you know, give a baseline of where they start. But, you know, some people do want me to give them, I want to know exactly X, Y, and Z. And I'm not giving, I'm not doing that because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always work for everybody. You know, I, I, I don't want somebody to rely on this piece of paper and walk around and go, well, Stephanie said this instead of that, you know, like I want, I want to teach my my clients how to learn how to trust themselves, how to come up with their own baseline, how to take, you know, um, what they are currently doing and maybe transition it into something that works a little better for them. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and there are plenty of, um, there are plenty of fitness professionals who will gladly, um, kind of punish you. If you know, if you can hire somebody to restrict your food and tell you to do these insanely hard workouts and things like that. So if you're looking for that, then, you know, that's out there too, but that's not really the, that's not, that's not the ultimate goal. Like it's, it's great. You know, people ask me, well, what do you eat? And I have a general idea, but I don't want to count it. I don't want to keep a food log. You know, I want to eat like when I'm hungry and I, and, but I've gotten to that point of being able to trust myself and, um, and, and I, I finally that Part you were just talking about where in your digestive system you actually shut it off like when it's full it shuts off mine started working mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't mm-hmm. until I started slowing things down enough to listen to it um, and have yeah work. <laughs> I mean I, that that's so important for sure I mean we know that if we're eating under stress um, that just some things that happen just to kind of give you some ideas here is that yeah. It, it really decreases the enzyme production in the stomach, pancreas, and liver, right? So right away, it, it also decreases bile flow from the liver. So we're already, you know, causing a decrease in nutrient absorption. And stress increases nutrient excretion, um, specifically calcium and, and potassium and zinc, chromium and selenium. So we're, we're already seeing how this affects us. I mean, quite literally, I can give you about, you know, 10 other things that it does. It increases cortisol levels, too, which we know is so important with weight gain, yeah. and specifically around the middle of the body. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's like this is what stress does, and if we're eating under stress, quite literally we're turning off digestion because our body doesn't understand the difference between, oh, my gosh, there's a lion, run, yeah. and, 
um, I'm so bad. I'm so bad for eating this food. I shouldn't be eating this food. It, it's stress and it's stress. And so and our bodies as, don't you know, know the difference. Not, it doesn't know the difference. So if you're, if we're, you know, and obviously if it's lying to chasing us, the body goes, you know what, digestion, that's going to be on the back burner. Because all the blood flow is going to go to our, our extremities. So we're going to run. We're going to fight. We're going to freeze in some way, right? Because that's that stress response. Yeah. That's the sympathetic nervous system in action. So when we are eating in that space, so if we're triggering that sympathetic nervous response, we're literally turning off digestion. And it's so amazing how we eat on the run, in the car, or we eat with judgment and shame and um, even disconnection. So, you know, as you were describing, from just being present to our food, because we know now that if we're not present with our food, if we don't really feel or um, experience what we're eating, then that that message that from our belly brain to our head brain that says, okay, we're good, that never gets sent. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's so many facets to not just what we're eating, but what's showing up, who we are when we're, when we're eating. So as, let's, as it's so important to well, this equation. I, want, I just want to talk um, a little bit more, like just a few of these other things that, um, yeah. that maybe we don't realize we're doing. So, for example, um, it's just my own experience. So some people yeah. think I'm weird because I don't watch television. But really, I noticed that I had a lot of stress and anxiety because I was watching a lot of these manufactured emotions. Um, I used to watch a lot of uh, like crime stuff. I loved that stuff. Um, even any of the like the emotional drama stuff. But what I found was that I was always on edge and I had a lot of um, a lot of, like I said, anxiety and stuff. So that's kind of the stress that you're talking about where it's not necessarily a lion, but our bodies don't really know that it's not a lion. We're in in this stressful situation. So would you say like um, like certain television shows around eating might be a problem? News. Um, I see a lot of people who turn the news on while they're eating dinner. Um, are there some other things like that? that you can think of that we do that we just think is, oh, that's totally normal. That's just what we do. But it might be causing this this subconscious stress level increase. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I think you brought up a great one, which is TV. And yes, it's it's definitely a factor because it can stress us out. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it, it, TV does this interesting thing. And I actually um, am trained in hypnosis. And I do that as well for, for clients that have this issue. It's, it's been shown to be kind of helpful as well. So, when I'm, TV kind of gets us into a hypnotic trance, actually. It can kind of get us into that more deeper states of consciousness. Because you ever notice that when you're watching TV? You oh, sort yeah. Of <laughs> I still turn do. Turn your head and you <laughs> melt, you know? Oh, yeah. So what's happening is I'm super we're totally not aware of what's going on, number one. So we're already out of touch with that. And as we're eating, as we're eating, um, because we're not fully present, we can eat a lot more. Yeah. than we mean to eat, and it can take a while for our, I think, up to 20 minutes for us to feel that feel of, that feeling of satiation. Yeah. So we can eat a lot of food in that period of time, especially if we're watching TV. So I would say the stress and also just the lack of being present, um, eating on the run, eating in your car, eating at work, um, eating with judgment, if we're swallowing shame and swallowing judgment and swallowing... Um, you know, any old stories about the fact that you're never going to release weight or um. stuff like that, that that can be definitely an issue. One, one tip I'll offer you here, in which I tell every client that comes to me around this issue, is just take 
five deep breaths before you eat anything. What happens is if we're in a sympathetic nervous response, so we're in that stress place, and we take five deep breaths, it puts us into the parasympathetic or relaxation response. So it turns on digestion. So even if all that you do about regarding your weight is yeah. to take five deep breaths before you eat, you'll make an impact on your metabolism. That's just like that. awesome. That's really, that's, that's great. I didn't realize that part. Um, there's something that I have told my clients in the past as far as taking deep breaths and I can't remember where I read this, but what they were saying is a lot of times um, we, when we when we overeat, not a lot of times, when we overeat and our stomachs get really full, it forces us to have to breathe deeply, that we don't have a choice. That's just, it's how our stomachs are, it's how our diaphragm is. We have to breathe deeply. And just that deep breathing is actually helping to relieve the stress. But sometimes we get confused about where the pleasure came from and we don't go, Oh, it was from the deep breathing after I stuffed myself. We think, Oh, and we eat that food. And I know that there are other things that happen as far as, um, dopamine release for certain foods and things like that. But, um, have you ever heard of that or how do you, what do you, what do you think about that? I think that's really interesting. I I've heard of that in, in kind of a different way, you know, just sometimes people feel really grounded, you know, um, in that way, like it just makes them feel, really nurtured and loved, you know, to be full. There's some sense of emotional or psycho-spiritual connection with that sense of being full. I've not actually heard it in, in the way that you said it, which is it requires them to kind of take deep breaths, but maybe there's, you know, kind of the mixing of those two um, those two topics or those yeah. two insights together, you know, kind of forces people to be in their body and take breaths and kind of relax. Yeah. Certainly there, we know about the chemical in foods and certain foods can um, right. certainly affect brain chemistry. So that is part of it. I think that um, people are such, including myself. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I should just preface this. You know, this is me talking because I am this person. Right? <laughs> I mean, we are such creatures of habit that yeah. <laughs> um, we can often start getting, it feels good to feel full. Oh, I and loved so feeling full not, for years. Yeah. If we're not feeling full, then it can feel really disorienting and un- uncomfortable and I've, I've talked to people with um, severe anorexia that they hate the feeling of being full, you mm-hmm. know. So, again, deeper layers. We've associated with this stuff, these feelings with something else, and we got to figure out what that is. I know a lot of people that have um, weight on their bodies, extra weight on their bodies, that's often an armor of some, in some way to right. protect them from something, to, to comfort them in some way. I mean, it can, it's very interesting, um, just all the different correlations. So I love what you're saying there about, you know, being just aware of our hunger and full signals and, and how it's feeling in our body and the breath. Yeah, and I, I learned a lot of this stuff. One, just kind of on my own. So just, I mean, some people know what my background is, but I was a pretty bad binge eater. I just, I would just over-exercise to get rid of it. Um, and that didn't always work. I would, I would gain 20 pounds here and there, but... Um, you know, so I loved being full, loved overeating. Peanut butter was like, that was my jam. I, I would really like eat like three quarters of a jar. Who wants to eat that? I mean, um, you know, I went through a lot of these different things. And then um, then I, I totally went to, to extremes um, in competitive fitness, which is has been called the sport of dieting for a reason. Um, I had a coach that, uh, really wasn't watching me, um, wasn't watching 
uh, I checked in every week and I didn't do extra stuff, uh, extra, extra, extra exercise. And I didn't take out any more food than she said. She just wasn't paying attention or, um, or didn't care or something, something went wrong. Um, but I ended up, um, right now, like if anybody looks at my social media pictures in five, nine and I don't know, one fifty six, one fifty eight, something like that. Um, and, and healthy, I was down to like one nineteen. So obviously, wow, yeah. yeah, it was so bad. Um, I had adrenal failure. Um, I ended up gaining 50 pounds. I had major depression. It was really awful. And I didn't actually, like, had I gotten help, it would have been so much faster for me to bounce back from it. But um, I just did a lot of my own stuff. Um, so then once I started coaching, I started coaching. Um, I had coached competitive clients too, and I decided I was finished doing that. Um, but I started my business coaching um, lifestyle clients. And so that's really where I've learned a lot of these things too. And, um, and so much of it was from my clients telling me, um, you know, I, I have this willpower during the day. I can't help it, but I eat all this food at night. And I was like, man, I'm doing the same thing. Like, you know, I got to look deeper into that. So, um, so much of this is, is through what I've done and through other people sharing what, what they were going through. And I was like, well, how can I help them to get to this point too? Um, so yeah, so, um, I don't really know where I was going with that, but anyway. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing your story. I mean, I, I myself had a, a Similar, I mean, an eating disorder for about 12 years, very severe anorexia, bulimia, um, and compulsive overeating at various times, you know. Um, and I'll tell you that I did go into pretty intense treatment um, that was necessary. And mm-hmm. it was there I learned so much about myself, you know. And so I tell this to people that have, no matter where you are on the spectrum, you know, it doesn't need to be severe to, like, go in and get help. I mean, if, it, if it's a little bit funky, go get checked. Go get some help. Go um, work on it. Because what I learned is now, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I mean, I, I did such amazing work and found so much compassion and forgiveness and just authenticity in the process of recovery. And I found that part of me that I had been seeking and I thought was lost. And I was yeah. trying to fill that hole with food and, and my body and trying to you know, hustle for connection with others and like, look at me, this is who I am and trying to almost overcompensate for the inadequacy that I felt deep inside. And it's such an amazing road, the recovery process, because it really brings you back to yourself. It it really does if it's done right. So I, I've done everything um, that I ask my clients to do. I always tell them that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I've not fully embraced in my own life because I've, done a lot of different therapies through the years for myself when I was in recovery and just, you know, some, that didn't work for me, you know, I don't know what that was, but that didn't work and then really yeah. resonated with, with ones that did, you know, so I think that if you've been able to walk that walk, you have a lot of wisdom and I can hear that as you're speaking. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I do have, yeah. it's interesting how people find me because, you know, I'm a quote unquote fitness model and, um, you know, a lot of people do come to me and they're like, Stephanie, give it to me, give it all. I want to know this and I want to do that. And I want you to hurt me. And I'm like, no, that's not how, then we don't, we don't, uh, because you know, I, I, it, it's we're pushing you harder is not going to make it, uh, it's not even going to get you to where you want to be. Tell you the truth. Like it, it doesn't, you don't have to work harder to end up being like where you where you want to be um you have to do the work on you though right like that's that's i think yeah the, the i, really I would say part. that um a path of deprivation and torture does not lead to peace yeah. um that's not the way it works you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree 
Agreed. I mean, I, I've, I've definitely, um, the, the new studies on exercise, too, have shown that if you really don't like what you're doing, if you're not fully engaged, it actually causes inflammation responses, and you can do more harm to your body than good. Ooh. The exercise, if you, don't, if you don't love it, if you're not yeah. enjoying it, kind of like the same with food. If you're eating food that you don't love, there's a certain biochemical process that happens that you don't feel satiated, which is why if you want chocolate and you're like, I want chocolate, and you eat rice cakes and you try to go <laughs> eat some skimmed milk and it's not working for you, you no. know? <laughs> That's why. And the same thing with exercise. There's some really cool new science showing that it causes a type of cortisol and inflammation response that is, is more damaging to your body, specifically your heart, than, um, than, doing the, than not doing the exercise at all. Oh, wow. That's really, yeah. that's really interesting. Oh, I didn't even know that. Well, I, yeah. I that's why I invite guests like you because then you teach me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, right. So, um, so with the other, the other piece of recovery, it's something we were talking about right before we started the show, um, with the, the nutritionist. So here in Charleston, um, as far as, as, I, I have heard we only have one nutritionist who specializes in eating disorders um, or disordered eating. So what, and this, this is part of your background. So could you explain a little bit about why, if you're, if you're experiencing some of these signs and symptoms, um, why it's really important to find uh, a nutritionist that does specialize in eating disorders? Sure. Um, I think that if, if, you know, depending on where you are on the spectrum, if you have a pretty significant eating disorder, then you're going to want a team. You're going to want a nutritionist. Okay. You're going to yep. want a psychologist, counselor, coach, therapist, someone that can help you with that. Um, you know, and you're going to want a doctor, a medical doctor, depending on where you are, and you're going to want all of them to talk to each other. Yeah, you know? okay. But why it's difficult to find professionals in general, I would say that it's not just nutritionists that are hard to find. Mm-hmm. I think it's challenging to find professionals um, in eating disorders that um, are, you know, are, co- are confident in that way because it's a different kind of addiction and, and in one way it's its own specialty. It's, it's not like, you know, if, if you had addiction, say, to alcohol or drugs, mm-hmm. then you would say stop doing those things and you'd go to meetings and you'd get help and, you know, hopefully you would stop doing those things. It's, it's, it's I'm getting it out of my life. I'm not drinking any more alcohol. Yeah. Um, eating disorders are very different. It would be like telling the alcoholic, all right, you need to have three beers. <laughs> you can't have any more beer That's it. than that. And you have to have no less. You know, yeah. So it's a, called a process addiction, meaning you have to do it, but you can't do it. You can't fall into the addiction. So, you know, it's, it's a challenging place to be. That's yeah. why there's a different way that you go through a recovery process of an eating disorder than you would, say, another kind of addiction. Many, many similarities, by the way. Many, and I usually get a lot of clients that have, you know, already recovered from alcohol and drugs or other addictions, and it's like, this is the last one. They're going, I just, yeah, I can't get this one, you know? Yeah. And that's because it's a little bit different. The, the recovery model is different. So yeah. I think it's challenging because, it's, it's not as widely taught, you know, what works, what doesn't, what doesn't work. It's, it's a pretty new field as far as, you know, eating disorders in general and how to really help them. For a long time, it was just, well, to feed them. To yeah. feed people with eating disorders, there, you're better. See, you're not thin yeah, or you're so not thin, yeah. too, um, overweight. And there you go. But we know that that doesn't help. And so it's, it's really shifting now to kind of, this more holistic process, but I think there's there's a lot of, of study and learning that needs to get out there. 
That's great. And hopefully a lot of the um, the stigma can go away from it, too, because really, I mean, like like I said, I, I you know, some people may have known I, w- I was having issues, um, especially that person I lived with who would come home and the food would be gone. <laughs> um, <Right>. But on the <laughs> but the um, but but a lot of people didn't didn't realize anything was happening. So it's it's one of those things where like there is, you know, it it's I think a lot of it comes from shame. So like it's you know, you you it starts out in that way and then getting help. You're like, Oh, well, do I need help with this? Um, but hopefully it's, it's, you know, people are kind of facing that it's really, I mean, we, I think we, most of us have something going on with, you know, our relationship with food and how do we get the best relationship with food? And I know like in the world of entrepreneurs, um, it's, it's kind of trendy now to have a therapist. So you're kind of odd if you don't have a therapist. So, Ooh, who's your therapist? You know, so it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, you know, so hopefully some of those things change as far as how we, um, see, our disordered eating or eating disorders and things like that and just kind of take that away. Um, so as far as, as if you are, you know, your, your, your friend or family member or somebody like that, if they have, um, and I know this is going to be different cause it's different ends of the spectrum. Um, if they have an eating disorder, disordered eating, like what's the best way to kind of support them? What are some things that maybe we, we don't want to say it's not going to be helpful. Like telling somebody who refuses to eat to just eat. That's, that's not helpful. Um, what are some things yeah. we can do? Yeah. It's not really helpful. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends who it is, you know, and it depends as you said on the severity and it depends on what's showing up. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's your, your child, and they have an eating disorder. That's a different way to approach it than, say, your your spouse. Because, as, but somewhat similar. I mean, there are some parallels. Yeah. Um, I would say at the core, eating disorders, especially as you were just describing, telling someone to eat. So we're we're thinking maybe they're in the anorexic um, equation. There's a lot of power and control intertwined with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Power and control. You know, so. You would be in a power struggle with somebody to tell them to either eat or not eat because I get that a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people that are in relationships with with others that maybe someone is overweight and they shame their spouse or significant other for the size of their body or say things about you shouldn't eat that or what are you doing eating that. That's not helpful either as much as it is to tell somebody that you should eat that or, um, you know. Yeah. Eat that now or um, assert our, our power of control over them. I think the best thing we can do is to tell them we love them, we're concerned, and that we want to support them and yeah. to ask how they feel about it in their own life. Mm, that's great. I, what I, we can do, you know, yeah. what we can do to help support them. Yeah. And, and then, and I think that, you know, like kind of just talking about the holistic approach, I've seen this too, where, um, I will have somebody say, Oh, well, my significant other, um, must not want me to succeed because I just said, please, let's not have this stuff in the house. And then they absolutely you know, refuse to not have that stuff in the house. So, you know, if you have a significant other and they're saying, can we please not keep like chips and my kind of my trigger foods around, um, what do you feel about that? Like, do you think that maybe there's a deeper emo- uh, relationship issue that might be going on if this person <laughs> refuses to take this stuff out of the house? Yeah, I mean, you just hit on one of the questions you asked me earlier, right? Which is, what are some of the, the deeper issues? Relationships often show up. Um, because a lot of times our relationship with food 
is a reflection of our relationship with the world, you know, how we mm-hmm. see ourselves, how we see others. So that's another um, facet. You know, we could do a whole other show. On that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'll say this. Yeah, I mean, I think, what does that look like? When food triggers people, like say they are triggered, as you said earlier, by peanut butter or chips or whatever it is, I often ask them, what's the most loving thing that you can do for yourself right now? Is the most loving thing that you can do to not have that around you? Or is the most loving thing that you can do is to have that around you and deal with the trigger when it shows up? And there's no right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's where that person is. For me, in my own recovery, peanut butter was a huge ice cream was another huge trigger. Uh And for my own recovery, it was the most loving thing I could do for me in that kind of at that part of my recovery, the most loving thing for me was to not have it in the house. Uh-huh. Now, as my recovery um, deepened and um, as I healed, the most loving thing I could do is to have it in the house and deal with the trigger when it showed up, deal with the emotions, deal with the craving, deal with the urges that I was having, like what was at the core here. So it really depends on where that person is in their stage of recovery as far as what the most supportive and loving thing for them is. Oh, that is so powerful. And I mean, even me personally, I I just think it's, like I said, all of a sudden my, um, you know, I, all of a sudden, I, I, I don't really overeat. I mean, it's just, it, I don't, I don't like feeling super full anymore. Um, and it's funny you say that uh, I, I brought up the peanut butter thing and, um, I had just said to my friends the other day, I was like, and look, this jar of peanut butter has been sitting in my cabinet for two months now. I just put it in my dog's yeah. bone. Like that's, you know, I like refill the inside of his, this bone he chews on. And I was like, I mean, that's huge for me. Some people may not realize it, but for me to open the jar and just put it in the dog's thing and me not really even care about it is, that's huge. No, I so. get it. I, I totally understand what you're saying. High five, girl. <laughs> Thanks. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. So I love how you told, I mean, that the listeners can really identify with that, I think, um, because it, it's something that I hear on a, on a regular basis. I never really knew how to answer it. I knew what was right for me. Like, I just couldn't have it in the house. Um mm-hmm. Or I wanted to finish it. Um, but, you know, then, yeah, I got to the point where nah, I don't even, it's not, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't have to use any willpower to say no to it. Um, I just don't want it. It just eventually it, but it's because I think I've been doing a lot of work and trying to figure out, you know, what makes me happier and um, uh, just, yeah, from the, from the very basic um, standpoint. So do you have any books that you recommend? Um that people read on these topics? Oh, that's great. Um, there's so many great books out there, aren't there? I have to think for a minute. So some of my favorite authors, I actually was um, trained under a, a, a woman who wrote, um, uh, oh gosh, Eating in the Light of the Moon, Anita Johnson. Ooh, okay, that's she, great. Cause the, um, yeah, I'm I just sorry? got that recommendation from the, uh, the, uh, the person I interviewed for Eating Disorder or Disordered Eating, yeah. So oh, cool! I got, yeah, I got to read she, it. <laughs> she was a teacher of mine, so I have a sort of a um, a soft place in my heart for for Anita. She's yeah. she's great. It's a really interesting book. Um, it's it's using kind of myths and myths and archetypes as a way to to kind of heal our our own story, which is is cool. So it, it's sort of that piece. There's also, um, of course, I love anything by Janine Ross. Oh, yeah. Women, Food, and God was the one that (laughs) was a big thing for me. Yeah, she's cool. And I've been following her for years. Um, 
And I, I like the way that she really talks about intuitive eating and listening to your body. I, I really resonate with her message, which is compassion first. Yeah. You know, that, that's the only way out of this is to love yourself. And it's not, you can't conditionally love yourself when you're thin yeah. or, or when you're at an ideal weight. You have to do it now. Mm. That's the first step is to understand what those blocks have been and remove them. So I love her. Um, some of the, the really cool science that, that's out there is being put out there by a man named Mark David, who I also studied with. Okay. Um, and he wrote two books called The Slowdown Diet and Nourishing Wisdom. Ooh, okay. And this is, really this is the guy that I learned a lot of information around just that missing link. You yeah. know, why is it that I'm doing everything right and I'm not releasing weight? Well, you're showing up at the table and how are you showing up? So that psycho-spiritual connection to food. I mean, if we go around even as from a belief system that yeah. says I always gain weight no matter what I eat, everything goes to my hips. What do you think happens? You know, just based on sort of what we know about law of attraction and the way we, what we believe we create, you know? So there's an aspect to that that's really profound, and he's great. Um, I love when women stop hating their bodies. That's kind of a classic. Ooh, I'm going to have to read that one. I think it's Hirschman. I think that's the name. You have to check on that. But great book. I mean, it's just like stop doing it. Um, (laughs) Stop hating your body, you know? And, and just some really powerful and empowering messages around um, around that. Um, there's another book called Intuitive Eating, which I can't remember who wrote it, but I like that one as well. And, of I'll course, I, I love the um, Bruce Lipton's and Wayne Dyer's and, and Don Miguel Ruiz's and, oh. and all those around just that holistic connection between what we believe and, and how it shows up in our world. And yeah. the deeper layers of learning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. And then I, yeah, like the um, one other interview I did, I broke it down to the four agreements and I was like, so this is how you can apply it to food. And there's a really, you know, because the judge, like you don't want to, no judgment. Um, you don't want to judge yourself. Yeah, and being honest with yourself, right? Impeccable with your word and yeah. really understanding what that means around food. Yeah, very powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was a game changer. Like overall life, food, everything. Um, that's a really, really good Yeah, one. if we're not taking anything personally, then when that inner critic inside or that eating disorder voice shows up, we don't take it personally. We don't believe it, right? Yep. Yeah. And it helps you too Perfect. with with those outer or those those messages from from the outside world. Um people don't really understand it, they may mean it in a in a great way, but they don't it, like you know, somebody may say, oh, it's, it's, wouldn't, wouldn't everybody want to be told, oh, it looks like you lost weight. And they're like, what, did I look fat before? You know, you never know. So it's, <laughs> that's always a fine line, um, with what to say to somebody and, um, you know, how to take that. Um, you know, some people, especially yeah. like my line of work, for whatever reason, people think that it's totally like fair game to, uh, critique my physique, which is funny. Um, but it gets, you know, it's, it's a little much sometimes. Um, so I can see that. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, one of the, the um, exercises I have people do when they first come in is say, all right, I'm going to say the word fat to you and I want you to tell me what it means. Go, you know, and it's amazing what I hear layered on yeah. top of a word that simply means excess adipose tissue. I mean, that's all it means. It's, it's, but the story we have on that word and then, by the way, we do thin, fat, yeah. is unbelievable. And what it means when you say someone is fat, our perception of that in our own story um, is so layered. 
Wow. That's, that's, that sounds like a very interesting exercise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's profound. I've heard stuff like stupid, lazy, un, um, unintelligent, ugly, you name it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we've... and how does stupid and fat get together? I don't know, right? But that's, <laughs> I understand it. I mean, I totally get yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I get it. So oftentimes when we're working with belief systems, you know, and someone says, well, I am fat, Aleka. You don't tell me I'm not fat. I'm fat, and I'm, I'll say, no, it's not fat. What does it represent? Yeah. And they'll say, well, lazy. And I say, well, are you lazy? No. I mean, I'm not. Are you stupid? No, I'm not. Yeah. Okay, well, that's at the core. It's not the fat as the belief. It's deeper than that, right? It's uh, Yeah, it's always deeper. But it's hard yeah. to see that it's deeper if, we've, if we haven't done that work um, and gone deeper. Actually, my my a lot of my work, yes, it was related to my body, but so much of it, I had somebody in my life that was just a very difficult person. And I didn't understand why I felt so bad when I was around this person. This person was part of my family, so this wasn't going to change. So I started doing a lot of work to understand how I could um, have a better relationship with this person and maybe not take what they said personally and things like that. And it was interesting because I was trying to do that kind of work and it totally related to the work that I needed to do with myself, my body image and all of that. Um, cause like I said, I mean, mm. I kept it in check enough to where, um, you know, like I still, I still looked the way I wanted to look. I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel like it would, it was, you know, very imprisoning. I, I didn't feel free. Um, but I didn't realize. So it was, it was this, this person that was very difficult in my life that I was like, well, how can I make this work out better? And that's when I found the four agreements. And it wasn't until after that, that I was able to apply it to, my own situation with my body image, my food and all of that. Oh, I love that. What a great story. I I think that so many people in recovery from my experience as well is that getting in touch with assertion, um, Mm. somewhere along the line, we've, we've lost touch with the gift of anger and, and really what that means. And it is a gift. women are having, have a hard time with anger and they swallow their anger. Specifically around overeating and bulimia, it really shows up. Um, issues of anger. So anytime anyone walks in and says, you know, I'm so out of touch with my purpose, that could be what they come in with because I don't just work with people with eating issues. Um, I'll say, well, how connected are you with anger? And they'll kind of look at me funny. Um, But it's true. I mean, I I think that a huge piece of eating issues that we have is being disconnected from this force within us that is really being gifted to us to assert who we are. To, to find our purpose and passion and fire within us. Anger is a beautiful thing if we're able to channel it in yeah. ways that are empowering. But so often as women, we are taught to be disconnected from that force. And we often either hold the volcano in and it kind of eats us from the inside out, or we turn that anger on ourselves. And eating disorders are a great way that we do that. So don't eat when you're angry, <laughs> but yeah, it's okay to I get feel angry. Your anger. <laughs> yeah, feel um, it because it's going to yeah. give you wisdom as all feelings. You know, if you're angry, it means you need to set a boundary somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's giving you, it's gifting you with wisdom. Well, and it goes back to the four agreements where, you know, if somebody is not treating yep. you the right way, you have agreed to let them continue that because you haven't put your foot down and said no and, and yeah. really said, no, this is not how it's going to be. Um, and so I guess let's just talk a little bit more about anger because we did just yeah. touch a little bit on the law of attraction. Cause I feel like this, I mean, this is so, if, if you've had any kind of eating issues, like you can see how this is totally related. Um, but the anger piece, something that I was listening to, I think it was probably from, um, 
from a workshop that um, Jerry Nestor Hicks did. Um, but they were talking about how anger we've been taught to not don't want to be angry. You want to be nice. Um, but, but on the, the scale of emotions, there's like that, that lost, depressed, um, disinterested feeling, which is very low on that scale. And then moving up from there is anger and you have to move up from there before you can ever reach joy. But what they were saying is a lot of times we've been told, but you shouldn't be angry, but anger is actually Mm -hmm. better than that, that depressed feeling, right? Yeah, and again, that hierarchy, I, I get where they're going with that, and I think um, I see it a little bit differently because I see it, emotions as, as sort of feelings as wisdom gifted to us uh-huh. from the inside out. And if we're disconnected from our feelings, then we're disconnected from our life compass. Um, and, and so, yes, anger tells us really important things, like, Someone has violated a boundary, and you need to assert yourself and define who you are yeah. and redefine who you are. So it can also be, hey, I'm, I'm angry. Um, you know, the three ways that we, we, we get angry. One um, is someone, we need to assert our boundaries, and we need to reassert them. Two, we haven't set boundaries, and we need to set them. Oh. Or three, someone <laughs> has called us on something, and they're right. And that means there's an inner boundary. I mean, have you ever had that where someone says something and you're like, no, not me. You're mad. You're like, that's so right. So, Um, so you know, (laughs) we do that. So that's the truth of anger is it defines us. It says, this is who I am and this is what I believe in. And if we think about anger as a force of change in our own lives, but, you know, kind of outside of that, um, anyone that has ever changed history has been really pissed off. Yeah, right. That they, they, like, you get stuff done when you're in the high high terrain of anger. When <laughs> anger is not filtered properly and it starts getting into manipulation and control, then we get into um, aggressive, passive-aggressive behavior, which is the opposite side of that spectrum if assertion is right in the middle. Mm. And it's, it's really true that in our society, feelings are kind of disowned in general. But for women specifically, anger is not um, something that we are usually conditioned to understand or have. Men tend to be okay with anger. Yeah. They tend to be conditioned to be, you know, okay being angry. And women tend to have that more with sadness, that we are conditioned to be able to own sadness, where men, it's sort of conditioned out of them. And we have all kinds of these weird feelings um, and conditioning you know, or weird conditioning around feelings in general. Yeah, but that's how I see anger. So anger yeah. is really important to the recovery process, and it's really important to finding your purpose and passion in the world, and it's really important to defining who you are. Yeah, that's great, and it's and and that's what it comes down to too, right? Like you, once you know who you are and you know what you stand for, um, it's life becomes a lot more simple. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it becomes. <laughs> A lot more, um, a lot more joyful. You get a lot more moments of that joy as you were speaking about when you're feeling in alignment with who we are. Yeah, yeah. And then there's then the, whenever you you know you don't you don't just eat out of frustration. You don't eat out of um, you know those kinds of things. Like you you can express yourself in other ways instead of taking it out on the food. Yeah, I mean, and so often what happens is say you were angry as a child and got the message or were shamed for not, you couldn't be angry. 
Or maybe the the examples of anger that you had around you were really scary, like you saw aggression mm. or passive-aggressive behavior, and you associated that with anger, and so you thought to yourself, I'm not going to be that. So you edited that part out of your psyche and sort of stuffed it in a shadowy place. Mm. And yet you have all this anger, and it feels really uncomfortable because when it comes up, which it naturally does, you're going to shame it because you don't understand it and don't want to be that guy, that person. Yeah. So we eat, you know, or we do something <laughs> else to, to try to stuff it. Let me just stuff that anger back down. And a lot of times bulimics, I mean, will talk to me about that's the way they release anger if they're going to purge afterwards. Yeah. The way that we can release that feeling of anger that we've been holding, like a burning in our in our um, in our sort of solar plexus. That so, totally makes sense. You know, often, yeah, <laughs> reclaiming feelings, but anger specifically is a really powerful one. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, too, like I said, I just, I mean, I, I would overeat and I would overexercise. So that, you know, like that overexercising was my way of getting rid that's of the all purge. of that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, you know, the way we feel that we've released it. So whether we're trying to numb it, whether we're trying to stuff it, whether we're trying to, then maybe we turn our anger on ourselves because we're angry at ourselves for being angry and we shame ourselves and now we feel bad and so food might help. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways in which we utilize that one emotion. But yeah. certainly there's nothing wrong with being angry. There's nothing wrong with any feeling. Um, it's, it's how we express it that it can become dysfunctional if we're not functional or yeah. not channeling that energy clearly. Oh, this has been so great because I think, uh, you know, listeners are probably sitting down like, OK, so, you know, like looking for um, more of like the clinical um, kind of road to recovery talk. Um, this is this this can be helpful in every aspect, not just the food. I mean, it's specifically towards food because this month is um, eating disorder awareness month. But I think that you could use this you know, for any area of your life that is not serving you, like overspending in money, um, obviously over like over consuming alcohol or using drugs or even sex. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people numb out and they do, you know, like we, we use these things to numb out or to like, yeah, it's, you could use, you could, you could replace any one of those things. Um, with, yeah, with what we I just mean, said about so food. unhealthy relationship patterns that keep showing up. I mean, the truth is this: the reason why someone wants to them out, there's nothing wrong with that. I get it. You know, I mean, it hurts, yeah. and you want to do whatever you can to feel better. And we're sort of programmed as human beings. That's in our biology and in our psychology. Yeah. Just make the pain stop. Yeah. You know, I get it. So I have a lot of compassion for the wanting the pain to stop. The problem is it's just a temporary fix. And to really shift, to really change that stuff, you got to go deeply into what's creating that pain in the first place. And the cool thing, though, is that oftentimes people are afraid. I hear this a lot in recovery um, and in, in general, in grief work that I do, I'm, when I'm working with clients, whatever, um, it's just too much. I'm so afraid of going into those places. Mm -hmm. But this is what I always tell them because I find it all the time and it's so hopeful and it brings a sense of, of faith. And that is that, um, you know those parts that you edited out of yourself when you were young, maybe the anger piece that was going to have you change the world or maybe the part of your personality that other people didn't quite get. And you put it somewhere else. Maybe you put it in the shadow or all those 
those painful places that you don't want to process or can't see, and you, you, you siphon those away. When you start going down through that stuff, what you find are buried treasures of who you're meant to be. So the lost parts of yourself. So while I understand it, it can be a process and it's intimidating because it's new, every single time I've done this work, either in my own life and, and also with clients, mm-hmm. is that you find lost parts of yourself and you find that light that you've been looking for, that you've and you walk around saying, I feel so disconnected from who I am. Who am I? And I'll say, well, look in the dark places because that's who you really are. You're going to find these parts of yourself that you've lost. <sighs> that is incredible. That is, that's, that's amazing. And you're right. And then it's worth the work that you have to do. And I think yeah. once, once you realize too, once you start doing the work, then it's, it, it actually becomes fun. I mean, there are hard parts about it, but you're your own project. And then once you start to connect all of those pieces, it's so freeing, right? Yeah. And I, I, I agree completely. I, I, I think fun. Yes. And then at times not so much, yeah. you know, um, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And the most important message is there's a way out. You know, yeah. the way out is by going in, but there is a way out and there is so much, it's so much better on the other side yeah. of recovery. It's totally so worth the work. I really want to mention that, you know, get that out there to anyone who's struggling that there is a way out and I promise it's better. Yeah. And if you get professional help, it's so much quicker too. There's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. cause I mean, really like you, you guys, you can, you can really help get rid of those blocks so much faster than, than somebody doing it on their own. Yep. I, I would agree with that from my own experience in recovery and certainly from the work that I do. It, yeah. um, it is definitely helpful to just get someone that can either just support you, can give you some tools and feedback, can just It's amazing just what happens when you get into a room with someone that you trust and have good rapport with and that, you know, is is well-versed in this stuff. And all you do is talk and hear yourself talk. That in of itself is so helpful Yeah, to be able just to start talking about it. Because then you talk about it. And then once you share it with that person, then you're like, well, this isn't really that bad. I mean, like, it's it's bad, but it's not that bad. Like, we totally got this. Like, we, you know, you work through it and you move on and... Um, once you share those things, it's like this whole burden is lifted and you're like, oh, other people have done this and other people have made it and you did it and you're, you're great. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my goal with sharing some of my experience. I mean, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, um, spend too much time in that space, but yeah, I've been through, I've been through a lot. Um, and you know, a lot of people didn't know while it was happening and, you know, cause that's, we're, we're really good at that. High achievers are really good at hiding all this stuff. And most people who end up, um, in, in these situations is cause we're really good at, at, we're, we're just really good at it all of it. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, and I certainly really want to encourage you and I appreciate that myself hearing you and hearing your story. It really is powerful when you can share in that way. I often share my own story and I'm an open book to my clients as far as if they want to ask questions. I don't hide anything when it comes to my past in that way um, because I think it, it can be helpful, you know, just to hear you're not alone. You're not the only one. And um, it's just, just holding that space in that way is, is brilliant. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If we didn't do any breaks because we just kept talking. Um, so yeah. I think this is the first time, but it was awesome. I'm so glad we didn't do breaks. Um, there was just so much valuable information that you just shared with us. Thank you so much. Um, and then if you could just share a little bit about how people could get in touch with you, what kind of services you offer. I won't put all of that in the show notes too. So if you're listening to this as you're walking your dog or driving home from work or something like that, um, you can refer back to it later. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I You can find me, my first name, Aleka, A-L-E-K-A, Sky, S-K-Y, at, um, you know, just go ahead and Google that, alekasky.com, my website. List all my services, what I offer. Um, I do see people in the Charleston area. I'm, I, I have a really full caseload, but I, I love being able to um, meet with people. I also see people virtually a couple days a week. I have clients all over the world. That's really cool. I also do groups and things, which I'm getting more and more into because it's such an awesome way to um, to grow and change and heal and transform your life is to kind of do it in with a group setting. Mm-hmm. So I do that as well. Um, you can find me on Facebook under Aloha Healing Arts if you want. Um, like me there. I also do a podcast. All that is on my website. So just go check it out. Yeah, great information. So if you really enjoyed listening to this podcast, Aleka just has a whole library full of this stuff. It's awesome. So thank you so much again for your time and I hope you have a great week. Thank you. And I really appreciate what you're doing and the message that you're getting out there. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for being on your show tonight. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. And listeners, you'll have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. You've heard me talk a lot about learning how to reach your fitness goals and more frequently how to look as fit as you feel while learning to stop chasing skinny. And you've also thought to yourselves, yeah, I do want to reach my fitness goals in a shorter, more concise way to stop wasting my time bouncing back and forth from fitness tip to fitness tip in magazines, wasting hours researching the latest and greatest diet only to end up looking and feeling the same way you've been looking and feeling for years. And my guess is that you've been thinking about this for a long time. Am I right? I know the feeling because I played these games too. For a very long time, in fact. I'm here to tell you this. Stop thinking and sign up for the SK Fit Life Challenge, an online training, nutrition, and coaching program that will lead you through 12 weeks of step-by-step guidance to help you finally reach your goals of looking fabulous and feeling fabulous. You're going to get to free up all the headspace you've been wasting, picking through random diet information being fed to you through the media and simplifying the seemingly complicated world of health. Your chances now. Do you really need more time, more information, more plans for the future? Or do you want to become that fit person today? Because the truth is this. You can be that fit person. Or you can be the person that sits around thinking about becoming better. It's your choice. Read more magazines, blog posts, and bits and pieces on social media, or take action. Because let's face it, if you're not where you want to be, your current program is not working out for you. I want you to be successful. And why is this? Because you've already got what it takes. You've been doing the work all along. It's just been the wrong work. You have the desire, the discipline, and the potential. Now let's get you on the right track so those efforts you are already putting in can take you in the best direction possible. Join me and the hundreds of other SK Fit Life clients for the 12-week online fitness challenge at skfitlife.com. All right, now let's get back to the show.